Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide. How's everyone doing? Well, I have a special one today. I actually can't believe it's taken me this long to bring you my dear friend, the joy junkie, Amy Elizabeth Smith. Um, But here we are, and it's perfect. It's totally perfect. Amy is a certified and credentialed life coach and hypnotherapist, a masterful speaker, as you will see, and personal empowerment expert. She's the founder of thejoyjunkie.com. And Amy uses her roles as coach, writer, podcaster, and speaker to move individuals to a place of radical personal empowerment and self-worth. With acute focus on helping people find their voice, she is highly sought after for her uncommon style of irreverence, wisdom, and humor, and has been a featured expert in Inspired Coach Magazine and on Fox 5 San Diego. And obviously, her focus on her uncommon style of irreverence, you know that's why we're friends, right? (laughs) And I've always admired Amy's ability, the way that she puts things into words. She's got this incredible ability, which you will see. Um, if you don't already know her, you will you will learn this about her very quickly. The way that she has of framing things um, with words and phrases, it's always, I'm always completely in awe of how she's able to do that. And she is literally one of my favorite people on the planet. She's one of my first coach friends. <laughs> so I absolutely adore her. And this is a really fun episode and really, really, really enlightening. So without further ado, here is my dear friend, the joy junkie, Amy Elizabeth Smith. Hey, Amy. Hi. Thanks so much for coming on and joining me on my, my pod. Oh, I'm so excited. I, I saw you. On my calendar today, and I was like, oh, hell yeah, we're going to have so much fun. (laughs) So exciting. So, all right. You, many, many years ago, you coined one of my favorite phrases, which is how to stand up for yourself without being a dick. (laughs) (laughs) That I did. Which I love because it really, like, we do. Like, we think that we're, well, first of all, we think we're being a dick when Mm -hmm. we set boundaries with people. But then also, like, sometimes we we are dicks, right? right? Like, sometimes we, we get so, I sort of think about it in, like, 12-step terms where we talk about, like, detaching with love rather than an axe, right? right? Yes. So let's talk about that. Tell me about how do you stand up for yourself without being a dick? Well, that was one of the main reasons why... I started using that phrase in my work so prevalently was because I saw this influx of women that I worked with who 
would identify as either a people pleaser or someone who was highly invested in the opinions of other people, which I personally feel are fairly synonymous, and felt as though they, if they were vocal about something that they wanted, something that they needed, a request, a boundary, or even something that was offensive to them, they would immediately have this speaking up for themselves guilt because of the the feeling that if there was any type of hurt that was incurred by the other party, that it was their responsibility to take care of it. So mm-hmm, for example, right. and, and we, we see it all the time, obviously you see it in your work, but with, with my familial relationship, my mom and I could not be more opposite as far as the things that we give a shit about. Politics, religion, everything. And there have been instances where I have had to ask her to please, please not talk about specific topics. Please don't invite me to church and kind of cluing her in that, you know, that I find those things offensive and I would appreciate it if she respected where I was coming from and I want to respect where she's coming from. So in those situations, it would be very easy for me to go, okay, my mom's incurring some pain and she's saddened and she's hurt by our conversation. So instead of constantly placing the barometer of success on how somebody else responds to you, changing that and the new barometer of success is how do I feel about the woman that I was? Exactly, right? We're not responsible for other people's reactions to our boundaries, right? And we think that as soon as they have a negative reaction, like, oh, I'm the asshole then. That's right? right. I'm the asshole. Right. So we're the asshole if if they don't like the boundary we set, which, by the way, is sort of the definition of a boundary, right? Anytime we set sure. a boundary, the other person's not going to like it. Oftentimes. And if you have a history of constantly putting everybody in front of yourself or acquiescing or giving in or even just not speaking up when something is bothersome to you, you've kind of conditioned everybody outside of yourself to expect a specific level of behavior. So I find that when women who who start doing the work, they start getting really empowered, the people in their life don't like the empowered version of them. Of course and not. So they'll test the fuck out of them. They will... Mm-hmm. It, it's almost like, ah, uh, Kate doesn't mean it. Amy doesn't mean it. Let, oh, I, she's just into this new podcast she's been listening to. Or, you know, they think you're in a phase of speaking up for yourself as opposed right. to starting to lay down some very clear new ways of being. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. Totally. And what often happens is they react that way. And then we're like, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit. Right. And then we backpedal. Right. And then their tactic works. That's right. It's it's boundary remorse. You have, you go through boundary remorse and it's or sometimes, you know, Brene talks about having a vulnerability hangover. Right. And that's mm-hmm. right. that's really what it is. It's like you're doing something really vulnerable by by rocking the boat. Right. Like we are told disproportionately as women that don't rock the boat, sweep it under the rug, don't open up a can of worms. We have all of these idioms that basically say, shut the fuck up and and make sure (laughs) everybody else is happy with you and is okay with you. And we're taught 
from a very, very early age that we are responsible to make everybody else happy, to be a caretaker, a nurturer, to be kind, to be all of these very feminine qualities. But as we know, we can embody both the feminine and the masculine. I really hate those terms, by the way. Like, I Mm. wish we would just call them strong and soft because I Mm. think they have such a gendered Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. bias in in our society. I'd rather just all of us talk about our, our strong traits and our soft traits personally, but Mm, I digress. Yes. No, I think you're right. Yes, I agree. And so when a a woman sort of takes on these stronger traits, right? Mm -hmm. Society of setting, setting bound, firm boundaries, society, people in our lives, they'll push against it really hard because we're not supposed to. That's right. That's right. And that that really is sort of how I landed in the work that I do now is, uh, well, I don't know if you even know this story. Oh, so way back in the mid 2000s. So, <laughs> uh, so a bit of a bit of context quickly. I grew up in a very conservative born again Christian family lots of dogma, lots of motivation from guilt and fear. My father had a master's in divinity, a doctorate in ministry, was not fucking around. So we had a lot of that <laughs> shame and guilt prevalence. So I, out of my the three of us, my two siblings, I was by all accounts the good kid. Mm-hmm. I started working when I was 14, put myself through college, got married young, moved out, was always straight A student, all of that. My two younger brothers ended up having difficulty with the law, uh, did some jail time, had didn't go to school, just a, a very tumultuous youth. So keep that sort of in the, the back of your mind. So it all kind of comes to a head in 07 at the time of my father's passing. And up until that point, my whenever my husband and I would go visit my parents, I would always kind of put up a facade, put up a veneer. I would say, okay, let's no cussing, no drinking, no talking about gay rights, no talking about Howard Stern, no talking about South Park, like all the shit that we were a part of, but didn't want my family to know about. Mm-hmm. So 07, my father passes away. It's the day of his service. And I spoke to a crowd of hundreds. And I also, because I had a background in makeup artistry, did his makeup for his viewing. That I did not know. Did you not know that? I did not know that. We have reached the dead dad portion of (laughs) the episode. The dead dad makeup, dead dad (laughs) mortuary makeup portion. Wow. Yeah. So I was kind of feeling like I was winning a daughter right? That day. Right. And I can imagine also really fucking traumatized and like all the things. Well, not only am I in the depths of despair with my own grief, but I'm also amongst a very evangelical grouping of people who want to lay their hands on me and just constant prayer and constant, all of that shit. Right. All of which you have already rejected. It should be said, like you have already moved away from that. You're right. You're living your life with Mr. Smith, not in any, (laughs) like with all of that behind you. Right. And I think at the time I probably would have claimed being an agnostic. Now I 
am quite the agnostic atheist, which we don't need to get into. But so, yeah, it was a really challenging day. We get back home to my my mom's house and she finds it the most opportune time to tell me that she feels as though my father and her had failed as parents because all three of us grouping me with my brothers were not, quote, walking with the Lord. (laughs) So I'm like, never mind that I just did fucking mortuary makeup on my dead father. And spoke to this crowd and am grieving my ass off. Never mind any of that. Let's go ahead and tell my daughter that she's a failure. So the only the only real thing I could muster in that moment was to say, mm, you probably shouldn't say that to a child. You know, I, of course, coach hat. I'm like, mm, maybe there's a teaching moment here. <laughs> so meanwhile, you were like, like you had just gone to school were you on were you had you gone to cti yet were you coaching i had about about two years before that but i had not yeah i hadn't left my my makeup artistry career right okay so she said well that's just how i feel and that was such a pivotal distinctive moment where i realized that a lot of boundaries and speaking up for yourself don't don't involve an ultimatum don't involve i either make you happy or i make me happy mm-hmm. but if it was going to come down to that i sure as fuck was going to choose me and that became a floodgate Kate, like I became so combative, so adversarial. So every conversation that we had then, and not to mention my mom was also leaning on me for a lot, considering that my father was gone and we have a very nuclear family. And your brothers were not really capable of being that support for her. Exactly. Right. So what ended up happening in this kind of dovetails into what we were talking about earlier, I would feel very passionate about something that we were discussing, but I would, I would have such a vitriolic biting tone. And so I had to learn how to go back and have, and clean it up because usually in those situations, you want to take it all back. But I learned how to go back to her and say, Hey, listen, I still feel very strongly about what we talked about. My stance hasn't really changed but I am incredibly sorry for how I expressed that to you. You didn't deserve to be spoken to in that way. So I Hmm. really delineate, I feel the same way. My perspective hasn't changed, but I shouldn't have uh, delivered it in the manner in which I did. And that really was how I started realizing, oh, you can absolutely speak up for yourself without being an asshole, without being a dick. So- And that really started to inform the work that I do now. It's amazing. Yeah, I had a very similar experience with my mom. When I started my codependency journey and I started my healing in Al-Anon and I was, and I started to see the whole picture when you start to like, right, like I always, I liken it to like, suddenly I stuck my head out of the box and realized there was this whole reality out there that I had never 
known existed because I had been yeah. in this, this box of the reality that I was handed by my mother. Right. And when sure. I realized that that wasn't real, I got really fucking angry. Yes. And I think my anger is justified, right? It was totally justified, but every interaction I had with her was so full of that rage, <laughs> right? That's right. That all the bound, I was like, you can't talk to me that way. And like, this is the line and you did And it was like, I don't think she knew what was going on. I sure as hell didn't know what was going on. But again, I was standing up for myself, but I was being a total asshole about it. And all, everything that you're feeling is completely valid, is completely solid. And we feel vindicated. Like, yes, we I'm do. Fuck you up. You know, we feel <sighs> that, like, we feel that we have been wronged so egregiously that the way I deliver information pales in comparison to what you did. So you are going to hear all of the venom and the acerbic words. And so we want them to pay for it. Right. But here's, here's the distinction. Is it natural? Is it going to be your intuition is going to want to fight or flee? Absolutely. But you cannot be heard. That's the difference. If you want to be heard, and that can oftentimes equate getting something your way, right? Like if you want, if it's a custody right. thing or, you know, if you want to get your way, you want to be heard, you want to be understood, you have to deliver it in a way in which people can hear you. Exactly. Exactly. I talk about this when I talk about the the, the divorce conversation, right? That's the right. biggest boundary probably anyone can ever set to say, I don't sure. want to be married to you anymore. Right. Yes. And I always say there's like, there are a million ways to have this conversation where you'll never be heard. <laughs> right? That's right. And then, you know, there's a way to have this conversation where it, where the, the information will land the way it needs to land. And you can actually be responsible for that. It, and it's all in your communication. That's right. That's right. Well, it, I think, you are 100% responsible for your intention, not your reception. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. what I mean by that, because I know there's a lot of conversation about intention and impact, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is you are responsible for who you are being, for how you show up, for what you yes. say, for what you don't say, for your cadence of voice, for your body language. Now, what the other person chooses to do with that is out of your control. And I hope that when I say you're responsible for who you are being, that you genuinely want to be a better person and you want to listen to others. But I mean, we know, you know, from John Gottman's work that nobody will make change unless they feel understood. So even if you feel completely validated and here's why you can't breach this boundary or you never respect me or da, da That person does not feel understood. They will not make any sort of change. I mean, the science won't. is there. Yeah. Right. No. That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And to your point, like if you had all of that rage, that deserves to be addressed in other formats. Separately. Right. That's right. Right. Separate from the I'm setting this boundary for myself conversation. Exactly. Right. Because you're it's, that's right. Your rage and your feelings that brought you to this moment are are valid. 
they're completely justified and they might really need some airtime. But if you put them in the same pot as the boundary that you're trying to set, then you basically, you make sludge out of the soup that you could be serving nicely. I'm going to beat that metaphor to death. Should we keep (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think one of the things that I suggest to people is to ask themselves, if I was responding to myself right now, how receptive would I be? Right. And oftentimes, yeah. you know, you think about how, like, if, if, if we're driving along, let's say, and we accidentally cut somebody off and they're like, fuck you, you and like honking at us and freaking out. When do we go, oh, you know what? You're right. I'm going to do things so much better. I can't wait to take that feedback and really implement it so that we can have that. Change my life. Right. Exactly. We don't do that. Exactly. Right. And it's that like, it's it's so true. I love it. My ex does that all the time. Road (laughs) rage. Right. And it's like, you know, if it's just a slight honk, you're like, oh shit, sorry, 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 sorry. (laughs) You're right. Right. But if it's then, then now you're the asshole. Right. Yeah. Right. So it's, yeah. it's just ineffective. So yeah. when, if you are engaging in a tough conversation, a challenging conversation, you are far more likely to have success if you actually embody vulnerability. And that's not appropriate for every relationship, but even some a vulnerable statement like, Hey, there's, there have been a few things on my mind that I haven't shared with you and, and I'm expecting all of these changes and that's wildly unfair to you. That could be a vulnerable statement of, Hey, here I'm building up resentment over here. I'm frustrated. And you would have no idea. You would have no idea because I haven't been vocal and that's incredibly unfair to you. Now, there are other types of relationships where you do have to be a little bit more assertive, strangers, things like that, protecting your safety, where I don't think kindness and grace are always warranted, right? Right, right, you know? right. Uh, sure, absolutely. Yes, I, I just that just takes me down a whole rabbit hole of sort of, because what we do is we it leaks out the side, right? So then we're being passive aggressive and they literally don't know why. Yes. Right. They're like, it's like they do know something's wrong, but they maybe don't know what. Right. Right. And and we do a really unique thing in relationships. And I like to call it the surface issue versus the root issue mm-hmm. where we will have all sorts of debate and I'm right versus your right conversation around a surface issue and not talk about the root issue. So for example, you might be having all this good, you know, combat in your house around how you load the dishwasher or or around who leaves their shit out, or it could be with a child. It could be anything. And what you are not talking about is what that behavior symbolizes to you. That's what you have to have the conversation about. That's the root issue. The root issue is typically how you feel about the content. It's I feel just dismissed. I don't feel respected. I feel taken advantage of. That's what you have to go to the bat for. Not the fucking 
system of how you organize of how you look at it. Yeah. I remember in our couples, you know, we did group couples therapy for years and one of our, one of the other couples, good friends of ours, they brought a topic to group about him, how he never changed the toilet paper roll. Okay. Right. And in the beginning, right. In my mind, my little judgy mind, and it turns out everybody's too, right? Because we talked about it later. We were all like, are you fucking kidding me right now? We're going to take time in, couple, in, in group therapy to talk about the toilet paper roll. Right. But because the kind of therapy we were doing was so structured around these things, it forces you to get to the root issue. It, for, it forced you to say, and that it bothers me because it triggers my childhood wounding of, right? And it turned out that it was all this stuff about her brother being the prince of her of her family and her never having a voice and nobody hearing her and nobody respecting her and being invisible, right? Huge. Well, for years, she'd yelled at her husband about changing the toilet paper roll, and he never mm-hmm. did it. And when she had this really cathartic, vulnerable conversation about what it actually symbolized to her, like what it meant, right? Every time he didn't change the toilet paper roll, that man has changed the toilet paper roll ever since. Right. That's right. I mean, seriously, we talk about, we still talk about it. Because the request is coming in a completely different package. First of all, the the original request was coming in anger and criticism. Right. And a lot of times, whatever, and this is not every time, but many times the things that we critique somebody else for are the thing needs we're not getting met. Mm-hmm. Right. So she had a need that was not getting met, but she's talking about the surface issue, not the root issue. And it was enveloped in a package that was biting and, and rude and critical. Right. When you change it to a vulnerable come from, you know, in mm-hmm. psychology, a lot of times they call it a soft startup. So right. instead of saying, we need to talk or we need to go over some stuff to say, hey, you know, there are some things that have really been on my mind or I'd really like to run some stuff by you. I'd love to get your thoughts on some things that have been kind of weighing on me. Or I didn't feel fully settled about our conversation the other day. Can we can we set up some time? Because you have to keep in mind too, when somebody says to you, we need to talk, a lot of times, especially if you're an anxious attachment style or you tend to be anxious anyway, it, you start ruminating oh on like, what freak the freak out? Yeah. You freak out. Absolutely. I have a thing where anytime anyone tells, says, Hey, Hey, can we get together? I mean, even like, Hey, can we get together for coffee? I immediately think I'm in trouble. <laughs> Which probably stems from childhood shit. I would assume. Yes. And also an abusive 20 year, um, relationship with a friend who I was always Ooh. in trouble with, always yes. in trouble always did something wrong that we had to talk about. Wow. She had to make sure I understood how wrong I was. Right. And so I do like, I have a, I have a, I have a, like a wound about that. Sure. My friends are like, Hey, can we get together for coffee? And I'm like, what did I do? And they're like, what? I want to see you. (laughs) Right. Like, Oh, okay. (laughs) I mean, right. But Hey, can we talk is even worse. Like I'm like, it's the worst. Right. But I do think it's one of the benefits of having a bunch of coach friends is we're able to say, (laughs) here's what I'm making up, 
right? In fact, you and I had that for my birthday, for my 40th birthday. We did. And I was like, check me out walking my talk because I felt like it could have gone completely awry. And this is a perfect example of a tough conversation. I'd invited Kate to my 40th birthday. This was two years ago. And original, I think originally you said you could go and then, then you couldn't. And then at this, and you had left me a message, but I didn't get it for some reason. It was on Voxer. Right. Exactly. And you didn't get it. That's right. Mm -hmm. I did. And heard it through another mutual friend of ours that, oh, Kate's not able to go. And I was like, what? And super upset about it. And then I saw you post, I think you were going to Italy or something. You were going on some I was going to Spain. I was going to Spain. Spain. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Spain. mm -hmm. And I was like, what? Because it had been a financial thing. It had been a financial thing. That's right. Yeah, it was. That's right. So and then you're I'm like, bitch here. can go to Spain. <laughs> she can't like, fly to fucking North Carolina or wherever we were meeting. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was like, okay. And so I stopped and I was like, okay, I'm making up a bunch of shit. I'm making up a bunch of shit. Now, I love this woman enough to have a thoughtful conversation. So I said to you, hey, here's where I'm going in my head. Here's what I'm making up. I see this post. I'm assuming I start making up that you actually didn't want to go or that you don't value our friendship as much. And I just wanted to really give you the opportunity to explain. And it was one of the most civilized, calm, non-drama-filled conversations because then you told me what? I was like, oh my God, I sent you a Voxer. And somehow like it had disappeared because it had been over 30 days. So you were like, it's not here. And, And I was like, oh my God, Amy, I sent you a Voxer. I'm so sorry. I'm going to Spain. My mom is paying for me to go to Spain because one of my best friends from childhood was getting married and all my friends were going. And she's like, you have to go. And I was like, but I can't afford it. She's like, you're going. And my mom paid for it. And it was like, and I was so devastated that I couldn't go. And my initial Voxer to you was like how devastated I was that I couldn't go. And I was really bummed. And if anything changed that I would definitely be there, but it was, but it was, it was like the most civilized. And then we, and then we were like, oh, okay. And then it was fine because, but then I thought about it and I'm like, this is such, this is exactly what I'm always talking about with your approach. If I would have either not said anything, swept it under the rug and just built up resentment. We would not be friends, right? We probably wouldn't be friends, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Or if I left you a message being like, what the hell, Kate? This is really, that's so much more likely to elicit defensiveness from the other person. Yep. But if I stopped and was thoughtful and gave that person the benefit of the doubt, and this also happened with another friend and like the same trip, and she was like, she was kind of like, well, you caught me. And she really she it was it was exactly what i had been making up in my head and so then i got to make different decisions with that friendship so but right. again it's like it's so i don't say this to be like oh be the better person i say it because it's genuinely more fucking effective right right it's just like, more effective right we were able to keep our friendship and and deepen our friendship right because i think that when friendships go through these sorts of things then they just get deeper right That's when right. it's done effectively it's yes. like we've been through a hard we've been through something hard awesome great we know we can do that now i trust you so much more 
right? right? I trust that you will communicate with me in a way that's not hurtful. You trust that I'm going to show up for you, like all of the things, right? Yeah. And and in the case of, of our other friend, you got the information that you needed and then were <laughs> like, oh, okay, I've, maybe I've suspected this for a bit, but now I have confirmation, so cool. And now I don't have to make this effort anymore. That's right. That's right. And it then informed different decisions that I made in, in that friendship. Mm-hmm. And, but regardless of what I heard on the other end, I could walk away going, you know what? My side of the road is clean. I handled myself with grace and kindness. I, I did what I'm always preaching to do. And sometimes that's even more impactful when, when you're on the receiving end and you did fuck up and someone's really generous with you, you're like, oh, damn, I'm going to learn my lesson with this one. You know what I mean? Because it's so much easier. You can write people off when they scream and yell. You can just, you can dismiss them. Like, oh, she came at me like a bat out of hell, like just dismiss, dismiss. But if someone's really thoughtful with you and deliberate and poised in what they're explaining and genuinely asking for where you're at, dude, that, I mean, it is, that is so, it's so powerful and it's also not easy. So like I mentioned with my anecdote with my mom, that took me so many apologies and reframing and apologies and reframing until I really got it that like, oh, we can talk about really polarizing topics. Like we could ask for a divorce with the utmost grace and kindness. We can tell our family that we don't believe in the religion that we were raised in with grace and love and compassion. We can ask our adult children to move out of the house calmly and assertively. And so I really wanted to change this dynamic of what we thought it looked like to advocate for ourselves or to speak up for ourselves and to give ourselves the freedom to choose a different approach depending on the relationship and in each instance. And I think it's really important to note that like the conversation that you and I had was a fairly easy conversation because we are both who we are and we both do what we do, right? And and teach about communication. And teach about communication. So like when we are when we drop into those roles, we both know where we're going. But <laughs> like having that conversation with my mom or your mom is a whole different ball game because they're not they're not dropping in and meeting us on that level. They're still on their level, which is like not used to these kinds of communications, right? And so it just because the other person isn't on that same level doesn't mean that you that this doesn't work and that you can't still do this, right? It's it may be harder, right? They're going to push back more. So if you let's say the toilet paper situation or honestly one of the biggest conversations that we have in cis hetero relationships is about domestic work. That's right. And quote helping with the kids. And which is just such bullshit because it's, it's not fucking parenting. help. They are your children. That's called parenting. That's right. Helping within the house. It's not helping. It's contributing to right. the household. Right. So, you know, this is the conversation that we have that, that is really prevalent in these relationships. And, and again, to come to it with vulnerability and say, I feel so taken advantage of or I feel dismissed or I feel like whatever it is. Right. Mm-hmm. Rather than, for fuck's sake, do your goddamn dishes. 
Right. Or for fuck's sake, can you give the kids a bath for once in your life? Yes. Right. And you can absolutely express that to your bestie, to your therapist, to your journal, like get that shit out. But when you're actually trying to get a request met, the delivery is very different. The other thing that I wanted to mention about what you just brought up too, is that I see a lot of women in my work who, who will start speaking up for themselves and they're not ready for the dichotomous emotion of simultaneously being so proud of yourself. Like, holy shit, I just gave voice to stuff I sat on for decades and super disappointed in what somebody else said or really saddened that somebody else couldn't rise to the occasion. So I think we also have to change our perspective about what equals success. Success is not just if they see it your way or now there's an understanding. Success is, am I proud of the woman that I was when I delivered this information? That's success because we cannot control with that. We can have an ideal. Like, of course we want that. Of course we want to get our way. Who the fuck doesn't want to get their way? Everybody does. Right. But it's very different to say, I have to in order for me to be proud of myself or happy. And so it's allowing multiple emotions to be present in those in those interactions. And I, I don't think we always see it through that lens. No, right. And often if they have a negative reaction, we think it's because what we've, you know, requested is unreasonable because that's what they told us or right that we did something wrong, which is what we talked about at the beginning, right? That it's our fault. So here's a question that people, when we talk in talking about boundaries, right? People are always say to me, like, how do you even know what boundaries you're supposed to set? Yeah. Like, how do you, how do you know? Yes. It's pretty simple. It's the shit you complain about all the time. It's Mm. the shit you chronically complain about. So if you take a, an inventory of what are the instances or the people that I consistently and chronically complain about, but yet don't take any action on remedying the situation That will usually give you a very strong indication of here's where I need to establish a boundary or have a tough conversation. Now, I'm not talking about expelling frustration or somebody really got under your skin and you just need to vent and clear it. Mm -hmm, No mm -hmm, problem. mm -hmm. I'm talking about if you need to vent and clear it constantly. Constantly, right. And you're still tolerating the the behavior that you, that infuriates you. And what I see a lot of, and I'm sure you do too, is if, if you're upset with a friend, your spouse gets an earful. If you're upset with your spouse, then your mom gets the earful. Like you're speaking up. Someone's going to hear about how pissed you are, but it's just the wrong party. Right. (laughs) It's the party you can't do a goddamn thing about it. Right. Exactly. So take take a little inventory and look at, are there things that I'm chronically bitching and moaning about and not telling the party that could actually make a difference, you know, or could actually create a change? That will usually indicate that. And, and we can usually gauge just from our emotional response. When am I frustrated? When am I upset? When am I overwhelmed? Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's because we're not communicating with somebody on our team or in our business or in our family. 
It's something that has generated discord uh, in our emotions. That's right. I love that. I love that. What's the shit you're constantly complaining about to other people? Right. (laughs) Right. And I want to invite people to like, uh, this is what I do. I mean, I do this in my, with my friendships all the time. Like people who come and complain to me about shit, like I'll say like, have you, have you had a conversation with them about this? Yes. And it's shocking how many times the answer is no. That's right. And it's, frankly, it's upsetting how many times, how often the answer is no. Right. And then, but then they come back and they'll complain about the same thing again. And I'll say, so have you had that conversation yet? Right. And then they know that they don't get to come to me anymore because if they're not willing to have the conversation and they, what they really want is to just keep complaining about it and not actually make any changes in their lives. I'm not available for that. Right. Right. And that's my boundary. Right. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've heard so many, uh, two things. I've heard so many people tell me exactly what they want to say to somebody. And I will oftentimes say, then tell them, then Mm -hmm. just tell them that, tell them exactly what you told me. And obviously I give them (laughs) tools and skills to do that. Or, or they will say, oh, I already, I already told him that, or I told her that already. And I go, okay, how, how though? How did it go? Because <laughs> a lot of times we think, oh, I already spoke up about that, but there's so much other part, other parts of our behavior where we're allowing it, or we were passive aggressive, or we made a joke about it, or we communicated in a way that we could not actually be heard. So one of the things that I tell people all the time when they're, they say things like, I'm so afraid of hurting his feelings or her feelings, or I'm afraid of coming across like this then use that, say that, say to somebody, the last thing I would ever want is for you to think that I don't love you or that I don't care about you. Say what that is. Say Say the last thing I would ever want, or I was nervous to bring this to you because I never want you to think fill in the blank. Just that's a vulnerability. That's a piece of saying, here's my fears but I've realized that I care way too much about this relationship for me to not say something. And it's not fair to you. It's not fair for me to be going through all of these thoughts about you and you have no idea. I would want the opportunity to make it right if the situation was reversed. And I want to afford you that same courtesy, right? Boom. So simple, right? It's actually so much more simple than we tend to make it right? Say what's there. Say what's actually true. Yes. Right. And you can use, you can use the word intention. You can say something like, I'm sure it's not at all your intention to make me feel blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, you can assume positive intent. You can also say, please, no, it's not my intention at all to cause disruption in the family or to cause blah, blah. What I'm really all about is standing in my own truth or taking care of my family or it, being more boundaried with my finances, whatever, whatever the situation might be that you're advocating for. But again, it's softer language. It's ways to say, hey, here's the deal. Here's what's going on. I truly hope you can respect that. Mm-hmm. I don't expect you to understand or agree. Sometimes that's the the phrasing. Like with my mom, I don't expect you to understand fully. And I really don't expect you to agree with me at all. But I do expect you to respect it. Mm. If we yeah. don't have mutual respect, 
I don't, I don't have any use for relationships like that in my life. Period. Period. Family or otherwise. Right. Absolutely. So I understand that you have a three-step process to establishing boundaries. So can you share that with us? Sure. So the first piece is to decide on the boundary. So I'll give you the three and then we'll dive a little deeper. So it's, you decide on the boundary, you deliver the boundary, and then you enforce the boundary. Uh So enforcement. So deciding when you decide on the boundary, the most important pivotal piece here is that it's incredibly specific and crystal clear. So for example, I had a a friend many years ago who every time her in-laws would watch her kids, they would say, we're going to baptize them. We're going to get them baptized. We're going to take them to church, all of these things. And they were not religious and they didn't want that sort of doctrine fed to their children. So if you were to establish a boundary or decide on a boundary, that is, I need them to respect my religious choices more. That's too ambiguous. It's not clear. It's not concise. It's vague. So you need to say very specifically or define specifically, no discussion of Catholicism, no discussion of any of the Christian faiths. That also means no taking them to events or establishments, no literature, no books, no television shows, no, no conversations around this particular dogma. So defining that to the, at the beginning is really important because then when we go to deliver, we have to be, we have to set them up for success as best as we can. Right. So Mm -hmm. in the decision piece, it's the specificity. Then you go into the deliver and the deliver is a lot of the, the cadence and the rhythm of your voice and body language. Like we've talked about before, asking for the time to talk instead of just bombarding somebody because they're not always in the space. That's right. You, you have to, there's a huge piece of communication, which is in some circles call it, you know, speaking into the person's listening, right? So if they're coming home from work and they're like exhausted and they're like, they're not, and you're like, Hey, I need to have this talk with you. Like, that's right. Good luck, but it's not going to land for them. So for your own success, you need to make sure you need to ask permission. Hey, I need to have this conversation with you is now a good time. And they get to say no, but then you get to ask for when would be a good time and set an appointment or something. I've even heard it called conversational consent. Mm. Like, do I have consent to even bring up this issue? I know for myself and my husband, we've had to learn how when the other person isn't ready to not take it personally and just to go, cool, I respect where you're at. If you just got your ass handed to you by your boss or it's been a long day or the kids are crazy or whatever. I like to say, speak your truth into ears that can hear you. Not Mm -hmm. all ears are capable of hearing you. So set yourself up for success. So delivery, asking for the time to talk, soft startup, using vulnerability, saying exactly what deterred you from wanting to bring this up. Like the last thing I wanted to do was to create a rift in the family. The last thing I wanted you to think is that I don't that I'm not appreciative of how you take care of our kids. If we're going back to this in-law, right? truly, it has right. been such a blessing to have you in their life. And I truly hope that you can hear me out on this. Sometimes you have to just give a request at the beginning to let them hear you out, That's you right. know, till, That's right. till you're done. Right. So deliver, we covered a lot of that today. And then 
you go into enforcement. Now, enforcement sometimes is going to involve an ultimatum, not always. But a lot of times we get so bolstered by this idea of like, oh, I did it. All done. I'm done. (laughs) Yeah, I did it. Uh, You know, because for many people, it's so uncomfortable and none of us like confrontation. It's so disorienting in a lot of ways because we're used to that people pleasing or placating mentality. So this is where people will start to test you. Like we talked about earlier, they'll go, does Kate really mean it? And they oftentimes are not malicious. They're It's usually them responding by their own habit, their own mm-hmm. way in which they engage in the relationship. So what that typically sounds like is, hey, I, I'm perhaps I didn't express just how important this is to me, but remember that conversation that we had about the kids and talking to them about Catholicism, they mentioned the other day that you brought up some baptism stuff with them. And I just want to underline again, that that is something that we do not want discussed with them at all in any way. And I just truly want to hear your perspective of perhaps why that didn't feel important to abide by. And then hear from them, right? And then there that might inform another boundary. But then you get to decide on your own repercussions. How many times am I going to restate the boundary before I institute repercussions? That might be really tightening your belt and finding other childcare if you can't rely on your parents. If they can't respect your boundary and they continue to do it, then that's right. Then, then like, okay, they, they probably don't get to watch the kids anymore. And I recognize that for some people, that's an incredibly privileged statement. Right. And we may not, we may, you may not have that option, but get really clear of what you're choosing. Are you going to choose reinforcing the boundary or are you going to choose having solid Childcare, even if it's against your own moral compass, but it doesn't, it does not have to be an ultimatum. It doesn't have to be my way or the highway right away. I think it's worth saying, Hey, Hey, I was serious about that conversation. Hey, I really meant Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask you again, or I'm going to make the request again. I truly hope you can understand. And you get to decide how many times am I going to repeat that before I say, you know what? I don't think it's going to be appropriate for them to to hang out with you much anymore. Or we would love to have you commune with them, but please come to our place. We're not, we don't feel comfortable having them there considering this doesn't seem to be something that you are taking seriously or respecting. Now you deliver it like that and then you go fucking scream your head off and you beat the shit out of your bed or you scribble or you break things because you are going to want to be angry towards them. And then you're probably going to have a lot bottled up by delivering something so compassionately and softly. Again, that's, you're most likely to get a positive response if you deliver it in that way, but we don't always get that. So it's again, tending to your own emotional intelligence, I think is important. So decide, deliver, enforce. Yes. I love it. Decide, deliver, and force. And I think there's a certain amount of like emotional neutrality, right? That needs to come with this, right? You need to get to a place like you're not having this conversation in the heat of a moment. Mm-hmm. When you find out that the parents have talked to them about baptism, you don't pick up the phone in your rage, no. <laughs> right? You process that shit. You call your therapist, you call your coach, 
you call a friend and you say, I need to vent this out so that I can have a reasoned conversation with these people later, right? Because you do, like, you do need to let the pressure off, get the whatever, That's right. right? The, like an, like an yeah. air, like an instant pot, right? <laughs> you gotta like, yes. you gotta release the pressure so that you can then have this conversation and that's okay. And I always encourage people to have a go-to phrase to use when you know you can't have that conversation right now. So let's say they just drop the kids off at your house and they, they come in for a second. And one of the kids is like, we learned about baptism today or something like that. And you're like, oh my God. And you're about to blow a gasket and you're right there in the heat of the moment. And you're like, so have a go-to phrase of, okay. So it sounds as though there was some conversation about religion. I'm not in a place where I can have this conversation with you because I want to be as calm as I can be. And I don't think I can be that right now. Like you get to say, I'm not okay right now. And I'm also not going to talk about it right now. Mm -hmm. Like shut that shit down. Like, wow. You can even say, "I'm, I'm a little bit caught off guard right now. Or I don't quite know what to say right now. I'm going to need 30 minutes, three I'm days, gonna, mm-hmm. three weeks, whatever you're going to need, need before some time. you can revisit. I'm going to need some time before we can talk about this. And then, by the way, then just that is your, that's your go-to response. Like, and I yes. always, I call it rinse and repeat. Mm-hmm. Just say it again. Because they're going to be like, oh, no, 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 but wait a minute. But don't you understand? And like, da, 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 da rinse and repeat. Don't get into their narrative. You have set the boundary that you're not, you're not talking about it right now. So whatever your go-to phrase is, you repeat it. That's right. I I like to call it not taking the bait because they Uh will try to, they'll try to bait you in with who's right and who's wrong, bait you in with the content. And you have to keep saying, I'm not you have to look at the conversation, not the content and say, I'm not discussing this with you right now. Right. That's right. Go in your uncomfortable emotions. That That's right. Oh, so good. Oh my gosh, Amy. Okay. One last thing before we go. You have now become a licensed hypnotherapist. That's right. And so, okay. Like I'm di- dying for you to to hypnotize some shit out of me. Um, but <laughs> so can you talk briefly about the role of the subconscious mind in learning sure. to be less invested in how people see us? Sure. So it, the easiest way to understand it is if we break down the percentages of the subconscious versus the conscious. The conscious, depending on who you talk to, it's it's roughly about 10% of the mind's power. <laughs> 10%, y'all. 10%. That's crazy. Guess what? And guess yeah. what's in the conscious mind? Conscious mind houses logic, reason, rationale, and willpower. Hmm. Willpower is in our 10% of our conscious mind. 90%, roughly 90%, is the subconscious faculty of the mind. And what that embodies is our our primitive fight, flight, freeze, fawn responses, our beliefs, our habits, our core values. So there's the way we can kind of think about it is like you don't, when you get into a car, that has become such a habit to drive that you don't have to think about 
putting this in this gear or turning my, just, you automatically do it, right? You just automatically do it. That's why we go into hypnosis sometimes when we're driving. Mm -hmm. So if you've ever had that experience where you are driving somewhere and you get to wherever you're going and you're like, holy shit, I don't remember this drive at all. (laughs) How did I get here? (laughs) How did I get here? And I wasn't drunk. So (laughs) <laughs> which you shouldn't be exactly. if you're behind the wheel of a car anyway, it. you shouldn't be, but right. That's a key distinction. Right. But your conscious mind is thinking about that conversation earlier or your day, your subconscious knows exactly where you're going and knows exactly how to drive the car. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that also happens through associations with things that are either positive or negative. So like you were talking about earlier with your friend, that toxic friendship, Yeah. You develop an association with, we need to talk as I am in trouble, right? right? Mm -hmm. There's, so that becomes a negative association. So then we also simultaneously create a positive association with people pleasing. Mm -hmm. And then that becomes embedded in the subconscious mind. So then when we consciously hear shit like this podcast and we go, oh, I know I'm not going to be a people pleaser anymore. I'm going to speak up for myself. I'm going to say nice things to myself. Good fucking luck with that because you're doing that with the 10% of your mind. (laughs) While 90% of it is doing everything in opposition to like protect you essentially, right? And that's when people feel like they fail at personal development. But Mm -hmm. there's, there's a key distinction here. So right in between, The conscious and the subconscious is the critical factor of the mind, Mm. also known as the inner critic. Mm. So that inner critic acts like a little, almost like a little guard dog. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that is why when you consciously try to say to yourself, I deserve to speak my truth or I am capable of establishing boundaries, that inner critic is standing guard over the subconscious going, that doesn't match this shit. That doesn't match what we've got down here. So it kicks everything back. It goes, who do you think you are? Oh my gosh, please. Because it's trying to keep everything uh, in homeostasis with what it believes in the subconscious part of the mind. So there are ways to break through the critical factor. One of them is through repetition. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. why we advocate positive self-talk and things like that. Mm-hmm. But that's also why so many people try to speak kindly to themselves. They get that kickback and then they throw in the towel and say, this doesn't fucking work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So right. repetition is key. But also hypnosis, when you're when you're in a hypnotic state, we basically put that little guard dog of the inner critic to sleep mm-hmm. so that what you embed drops down into the subconscious mind much, much faster. Oh, so great. It's cool stuff. I want that. <laughs> <laughs> I do it every every damn day. I love it. It's so good. That's so good. Oh God, Amy, okay. I love you so much. I'm so happy we could do this all day long. Um, tell me, tell us where people can find you. Yes. So my little corner of the internet is over at thejoyjunkie.com. Junkie is J-U-N-K-I-E. And you'll see just an arsenal of freebies over there. I have a free hypnosis track, actually, for anyone who's interested. Free workbooks, workshops, all sorts of stuff. Same handle on all social media platforms, pretty much. But I'm the most active on Instagram. So come get a bunch of freebies and hang out. And I would be incredibly honored to meet you. 
Yes. Highly recommend. Highly recommend. I've been friends with Amy for many, many years. And I, I say you should all be friends with Amy. Um, so Yay. go follow, go follow and listen. And and also, Amy has a podcast, the Joy Junkie podcast. Oh my God. You forgot That's to right, t- I forgot. You forgot to mention. <laughs> and I actually want to really recommend the pod too, because for many years, you did the podcast with your husband, lovingly known as That's Mr. Right. Smith. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my audience wants to know what a healthy and loving relationship looks like. And mm-hmm. I will often say, Go study (laughs) Amy and Ken Smith because they truly do. You guys truly do embody. I often tell the story of when you guys were here, we're staying here, and you had just come off like this really, really long road trip. And my, my house was like the last stop. And we went out to dinner and something came up about, Ken said something about your toiletries in the various okay. places that you had been staying, sort of being a little spread out on all the yeah. countertops and him not really having <laughs> space for his stuff. And he said it sort of like in passing and jokingly and whatever. And you stopped and you were like, hold on, I need to hear this. Or, you know, was this something that actually bothered you? And yeah. you two had a dialogue about it that was very quick But he was like, well, you know what? It kind of did a little bit. It felt like I didn't have room for my stuff. And you guys just had this very quick (laughs) moment. And it was such a loving and beautiful conversation. And it was a real testament to like not letting shit go, right? Because you guys believe in not letting anything go and slide under the carpet because then that becomes a very bulky foundation carpet that you're trying to have your relationship on, right? And it was, I talk about it all the time. <laughs> so I'm so honored. I do. And so I just want to say that that the podcast is a great opportunity for my listeners to go over and listen and really hear what a loving relationship looks like. And you guys have been together now 25, well, married 25 years. Wasn't you just have your no, anniversary? Wait, what was it? It's, we will be, it, we got together in 97 and married in 99. So it'll be 22 years and 24 together. Right. Okay. So 22 married, 24 okay. together. Yeah. So, yeah. so this is like long-term shit guys. So go check it out. It's really beautiful and really I inspiring. Do not remember that conversation at all, but I trust you. <laughs> it sounds, <laughs> it sounds exactly like something we would do. Oh and yeah. Talk about. Yep. Yep. Um, you know, because you and toiletries, but you know. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He always goes, where are we going to put your suitcase? So, you know, like for when it explodes and I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> but you're a very efficient traveler. You travel with everything you need. That's amazing. Yeah, I do. All right, Amy, I learn stuff from you every single day and I love you so much and I'm so grateful for our friendship. And I'm just so grateful that my audience got to also learn a little something from you today as well. So thank you so much for coming on. Oh, I completely feel the same way. And I am going to ride high on all those lovely comments the rest of the day. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at The Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you 
my love, deserve to be happy.